The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello there, my friends, and a big welcome into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt, and I'm your host, and super excited to, to be here with all of you today. Um, before I, I dive into this episode, I want to just mention and, and give a big shout out to the group that I had the honor of speaking to over this past week in Wilmer, Minnesota, the Centricare Hospice Group. Um, myself, my friend Kelly Grosslogs had the opportunity of being a part of um, their Share the Spirit event and got to go in there and, and talk about mental health, talk about my story, got to talk about breath work, and it was just such an honor and, and absolutely one of the highlights here over over the last week for me. And so um, to, to any of you who attended that, who maybe are joining us here on the podcast for the first time, just want to give you a shout out and welcome you. And uh, just thank you all for being you and for welcoming us in there last week. Um, here on the episode today, we are, are talking about being a highly sensitive person out there in the world, which for any of you out there who identify as being highly sensitive, you likely know that there's a lot of gifts that come with being highly sensitive, and there can be also some challenges and some unique experiences of feeling and experiencing things so deeply every day when, when you step out into the world. Um, I know it's something that I de- that that really resonates for me has been a big part of my experience and and my hope is that for any of you out there who can resonate with that and um, who identify as being highly sensitive, you can take something from this conversation here today that will be helpful for you. Um, we are joined on this episode by Matt Lancedell. Matt is based in Canada. He is a life and spiritual coach. And I, I have to say, I just really, really loved this conversation with him. I've, I've found that after we recorded this, noticing a lot of kind of shifts and just some some new awareness and some beautiful reminders for myself in, in kind of taking care of myself day to day and moment by moment. We talk in this episode about his journey of, of being a very, very highly sensitive person kind of what that looked like for him, especially as a kid, and, and kind of his growing understanding of, of how um, 
his high sensitivity has, has impacted him in his life and how he's learned to manage it. We get into talking about people-pleasing, living authentically, learning how to feel our emotions, which, as many of you know, that can be a real process um, and, and a daily evolving process for sure. Um, I also, I put out a, a question on, on Instagram to, to all of you if you had any questions for Matt and got some beautiful responses. I ask um, a few of those questions to him directly. And so let's go ahead and, and share this conversation with all of you. I hope that it serves you in some way. I so enjoyed it. Big thank you to Matt for joining us. And um, here we go. Matt, thank you so much for for taking some time to to join me here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, and as we, I know we're gonna. I want to ask you a lot of a lot of questions about kind of the journey that you've been on, and yeah. as as we focus on highly sensitive people, which is what we're going to be talking about here today. Is there a way to define what that is in in your mind? Yes, there is. So oftentimes people think about sensitivity and they think of like the stigma, mm-hmm. you know, like being hurt easily or fragile or, or weak, that those sorts of things. And the science of, of sensitivity is, um, you know, I define it as, as being uh, highly attuned and perceptive of yourself and your environment. Um, that's kind of the definition that I've, that I've made to kind of really encapsulate what sensitivity is. Yeah. But it's it's essentially like in the in the term of being highly sensitive person, it's that people that highly sensitive people score high on a trait called sensory processing sensitivity, which is a inherited trait that comes genetically through, you know, like both my parents have uh, high sensitivity as well. Then it basically is like a different structured nervous system. So we we process information a lot uh, deeper than somebody that would not score on this trait. Um meaning that we're always kind of looking around our environment and we're taking in all the stimuli that maybe other people wouldn't notice. And that's actually another trait of, uh, of the trait is, is noticing subtleties in your environment. So like little mild changes, weather changes, temperature changes, things like that. We're very sensitive to those things and we pick them up quite easily. Um, people that are, that score on the trait also score on emotional reactivity and empathy. So meaning that we tend to be deep feelers, we feel positive and negative emotions very deeply. So this is where, you know, my work comes in as I teach people how to um, work with their emotions, how to process their emotions and feel their emotions so that they can um, not be so overwhelmed by the world. Um, And then, you know, all of that, all of the taking in the information, it leads to an ease in overstimulation. So people, that's probably one of the biggest downfalls of being highly sensitive. If you were to ask any sensitive person, it's the overstimulation that comes with that. So, you know, if you're out um, in public and there's lots of noise, lots of bright lights, it can really throw somebody off and in, in the kind of those sensory domains. So that kind of gives like a, a little bit of an understanding of, yeah. of the science, but it, it's, it, and to also note too, it's about 20% of the pop population scores on this trait and uh, it's equal across genders. So both male and female score on this trait equally. Um, and 
you know, one of my missions is to bring more awareness to this for men because men often hide their sensitive nature because of the shame and the stigma. And uh, there's just as many sensitive men out there as there is women. So I want to yeah. help kind of be a pioneer in making that normal. Beautiful. And I can yeah. so I can so relate to that being a, mm-hmm. high, a highly sensitive person myself. Cool. Yeah. When when did you start to notice that you were highly sensitive? Oh, man. Well, so I started noticing when I was really young, uh, but I didn't know what it was. I actually thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was either, you know, I didn't even know what the word autism meant either, but I thought I was either autistic or I thought I, because um, I did all these like weird things as a kid. Like I had a lot of extra energy in my body because of the overstimulation, not knowing that's what it was. So I would do all these like weird ticks and things to try and discharge this energy. And uh, it led to you know, things like being bullied and my parents wondering what was up with me and that sort of thing. And then I kind of pathologized that a bit and thought there was something wrong with me. And Mm. um, about three years ago, um, one of my clients actually, which was really cool, um, he's a psychologist, pointed out to me that, have you ever heard of like high sensitivity and like what that means? And he's like, I think you're a highly sensitive person. And, uh, And that was... That was it, man. I, I, it changed my whole world, really. And yeah. uh, it changed my career tra- trajectory because I, um, I, I was working with, with gay men at the time solely, only gay men. And, and then I started to open up my practice to working with empaths and highly sensitive people. And mm. um, yeah, it was really, really cool stuff. So. Well, and in, in, incredible how quickly we can kind of turn on ourselves, right? Like as a highly sensitive person going to that yeah. place of there must be something wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're so quick to do that to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of the work that I do actually, because there's a lot of shame around that, like feeling misunderstood, feeling discriminated against, feeling different. Um, So my brand is all about authenticity, which, you know, if you look at what gets in the way of us being authentic, it's like shame and trauma, right? And all the things that come with that, the people pleasing, the um, self-abandonment, the self-rejection, all of it. So I kind of, that's the, that's really the work I do is moving people through shame and trauma and moving them closer to their, their truth and celebrating that. Yeah. I I was listening to a a video that you put out there on YouTube last night um, from a couple of years ago, just talking about like your sensitivity story and got kind of a good understanding of kind of the journey that you've been on. And it was, it was so beautiful to listen to. And it, and, I, and one of the things that you talked about in there that I really resonated with was how hard school was for you as a child. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, that was a really rough period in my life. Like, um, I, I basically just was because I processed things so deeply, like when I would go into these environments where all of these kids were and teachers, like I could feel all of their stuff, their emotions, their fears. And I was taking that in because I didn't have any skills to be able to, you know, have boundaries or energetic boundaries and to be able to deal with that intensity. Mm -hmm. So I would walk into school and I would feel just all of everything and I would freak out, I'd panic and I'd run back to my mom. (laughs) I did that Mm -hmm. every day for like a couple of years and I just couldn't regulate. My mother didn't really know how to deal with it either. So she would become dysregulated. And then I would be feeding off of that energy too. So it was just more of, it was more of an overwhelm and an overstimulation. And I um, immediately, when you're that young, I think the first thing that you, you, you turn to, it's just scary. It's fear, right? You're just experiencing fear. So you don't know how to deal with it. So it was like fight or flight. And I was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, totally challenging. When you just think about the energy that's in 
a school building, right? That's a lot of energy coming at you at an age when you don't really have an understanding of how your nervous system works. Exactly. Yeah. It still happens to me too. Like I obviously now know how to cope with it now, but when I walk into um, like, let's say like a, a large room and there's a lot of people, like I feel everything that's going on in that room energetically and uh you know so it's it can be really overwhelming at times yeah you know so yep um something else that i I heard you mention in that video and you kind of talked about it here too was you know Mm -hmm. looking for ways to kind of escape the the suffering that can sometimes come along with being a highly sensitive person Mm -hmm. especially when you don't have an idea of the fact that you are a highly sensitive (laughs) person in what ways in your life, Matt, did you did you try to escape and then kind of get away from from that pain mm-hmm. that you were experiencing? Yeah, well, I think I would have to go back to, um, geez, what that would have been probably around like eleven or twelve years old. I started smoking weed and mm. uh, doing mushrooms, and then by thirteen, I was doing like ecstasy, and by sixteen, I was doing coke by 17 i was addicted to crack i had a crack addiction from 17 to 24 and um so that was probably the biggest way for me to cope with everything just the intensity and um which is interesting because i I gravitated towards stimulants but my nervous system was already so stimulated so it just Mm -hmm. perpetuated the problem but i was so dissociated i didn't even really i wasn't even really aware um so that would have been another way is dissociation Um, yeah and i've been working my whole out of life of bringing myself back online from that because I was really dissociated. I wasn't feeling my emotions for probably a good part of uh, maybe a decade and a half. So about 15 years, just completely Mm. shut off from the world and my emotions. And so a lot of um, connecting back into my body through things like breath work, meditation, um, plant medicine, um, embodied movement, somatic experiencing, um, different things like that, that have really got me back and connected to myself. And, um, it's been a game changer because I can yeah. now manage, you know, when, it, when, as soon as I started to kind of like heal all that trauma, which in my opinion, that is the suffering really unhealed trauma was what was causing my suffering. And, um, as I started to move through that, the suffering became less and less, but I think I, you know, to answer your question more directly, like, I think I, um, I learned to manage the suffering through, um, allowance, like just allowing it. Because I think what, what I was doing most of my life was like running from the Mm -hmm. suffering. And when we put up so much resistance to something, um, it, it perpetuates it, right. It it makes it persist and and it it gets worse. So I learned the, the art of allowance through just my research with within Buddhism. And, um, I learned that probably like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And it just changed my life. Like instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, like fighting, the things that are going on in along the healing journey, just allow them to happen and learn from them and ask like, what is the meaning behind this suffering and start to kind of dig into it. And that's when things started to shift for me because I wasn't fighting myself anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I, I resonate so much with, with so much of, of what you're saying, kind of that process of early on really dissociating from, my body in many ways and kind of feeling that detachment of, I I know for me, it was always, instead of feeling what's there, I'm going to jump up into my mind and try to think about what's going on. So it's really developed this extremely overactive brain mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I, I resonate so deeply with that idea of just learning how to 
feel, which, which is so, it sounds like that should be a simple thing, but it's, it's really not <laughs> like it, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of kind of relearning so many different things of how to just realize, Oh, like I'm just, it's okay to just feel sad or it's okay to just feel angry or whatever is going on. Um, I, I'm curious for you, do you have like daily practices that help kind of support that, that relearning of, of how to feel? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think, um, I still like, I still, my default is like rumination. So, yeah. but then when I went, now I know what rumination means. I attribute mm. meaning to it because whenever I start ruminating, it means there's emotions to be felt. And mm. what I would do before is I would just ruminate, ruminate, ruminate. I'd be on the hamster wheel and I would ruminate so much until the emotion came involuntarily. I didn't ever turn towards myself. The emotion just would come because I would be torturing myself with thoughts. Mm. And, and that sometimes would take weeks <laughs> to feel an emotion. And I'm like, whoa, like how much energy am I wasting on this? So I started to turn towards myself. And, uh, that was a big, a big game changer for me. And I think, you know, embodiment taught me that, like how to be yeah. with your body and how to lead with curiosity. And, um, you know, I just use the, this kind of like, I am noticing, I am noticing in my body and I start to, to be descriptive of maybe, um, sensation and thought, even like I'm noticing my mind is doing this and I start to kind of separate from the thoughts and then I can move into the feelings, right? I'm mm. noticing that, you know, I'm disappointed right now or I'm angry and, you know, and I start to just kind of like reparent myself and hold space for myself through that. But it took, it took me a long time to get to that place because, um, my, it, I, I almost felt like I didn't have control over my mind because mm -hmm. it was so habitual to kind of just resort to that place. And it took a lot of um, like rewiring and just like constantly choosing not to do that over and over again until that kind of became a default, which I'd still say I'm kind of in that space between where I'm like learning how to fully just go straight to the emotions as opposed to the ruminating um, mm. taking over. So it's, I think this works like lifelong work, yes. honestly, like being a human being, a, a deep feeling human being is not easy. And I think that we are, that's kind of like our karma. That's why we're here. We're here to learn how to be good at feeling our way through life, especially if we've had childhood trauma, right? Mm. Yeah. Are, are you noticing that there are certain emotions that um, are in your body, like, like, like very common ones that you're like, wow, I haven't let myself feel that for a long time. And it's, and it's very present. Mm. Yeah, I, I was actually talking with a friend about this last night, like the two emotions that are really hard for me to feel are disappointment and jealousy. Mm. Not envy, I'm not really envious of people really, but more so jealousy, like this person is going to take something that I value, like more in relationship jealousy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been working on on a secure attachment for for a long time. But so I would say those two, and then how do I cope with them? Well, with anger. So anger is a, a clear sign for me that I need to I need to, first of all, remove myself from the situation and be with my inner child and kind of connect with that energy and start to connect with whatever's underlying. So usually disappointment is a big one for me, uh, feeling let down because that was a part of my childhood and, uh, and jealousy. Usually when I'm in a relationship, though, when I'm single, I don't often experience that much. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it can come up in relationships for sure. Yeah. Jealousy yeah. is a beast, isn't it? 
Oof. Yeah. It's a heavy one. It's a heavy it's, one. <laughs> yeah. All consuming yeah. sometimes. When it, yeah. When it it really for takes sure. Hold. Yeah. And you know, like when you're in a relationship with somebody and they can't hold space for that, it's, it makes it 10 times worse. But when you can practice humility and bring, bring voice to the jealousy in the relationship, it's actually not that bad. Right. Mm. If, and especially if your partner is willing to do the same, because I think we all as human beings experience jealousy just to different varying degrees, depending on our, maybe our childhood experiences, whatever. Um, so, you know, when two people are willing to bring that into the relationship and talk about it, it's not really that bad, but it's when our partner can't hold space for it. And we feel like we're all on this Island alone, trying to manage this really heavy emotion and, uh, and it makes it worse. So, yeah. 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 Um, that could be a whole other podcast topic. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Your attachment. Yeah. I've been working on that for, Oh man, I've had some pretty crazy relationships and I actually just had a, a three month relationship, but well, three, three to four months. And, um, it was my first secure relationship. It, it didn't work out because of compatibility stuff around uh, relationship structure and what we wanted out of it, but lots of great communication, lots of, um, vulnerability and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm making some really great strides for sure. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Did, did you notice, so did you tend to lean kind of more avoidant or more anxious in relationships? Do you have kind of a sense of kind of what the pattern has been for you in the past? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm disorganized. So okay. I'm, I'm fearful avoidant and, uh, I, I would say I'm probably 80% secure now and 20% fearful avoidant. And that's just basically, um, I exhibit, um, anxious and avoidant tendencies in my relationship. So if I'm, if somebody becomes anxious in a relationship and very clingy and needy, I will become avoidant. Mm. And if somebody's very avoidant in, in the relationship, I will become anxious. So again, the biggest thing for me is picking the right people because that attachment style, you really, you really need a secure person in my mm. opinion um and or be doing your own work on developing security but i kind of am now like i don't i'm not drawn to anxious or avoidant men right mm -hmm. i'm very much more drawn to secure men now that are good at communicating and good at expressing yeah. um and they don't have to be like perfect like in their attachment style because i'm not either but being able to come into the connection and communicate emotion and need desires fears insecurities like that's essential for me and if i don't have that i'm not willing to move forward so yeah yeah well thank you for sharing all that i, I yeah. it's I, I i'm very much kind of in the depths of a lot of that kind of work in my own life too and it's um okay it, and, and it's helpful i think to hear that other people because sometimes you can start to feel i don't know in relationships like like what's wrong with me why can't i make them work you know oh, yeah. and it's I mean, it's deep stuff. I mean, I, I really do think yeah. relationships are kind of our source of our, of, I mean, it's, for me, it's been my relationships have been the biggest catalyst for, for deep growth in my entire oh, yeah. life. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, What's it's your attachment style? Do you know? I am, I, I resonate a lot with, with, I feel like what you just said, as far as, you know, kind of shifting back and forth, but I, I do think that I, I tend to lean much more avoidant. Okay. Yeah. I tend to, I think I've noticed a, a real pattern in, in my life of as I, as I get closer to people and then kind of intimacy tends to, you know, starts to ramp up. I, I feel a real need to, that, that brings up things within me that feel really uncomfortable. And generally yeah. instead of communicating that it's a, 
Like I just need to bail and get away and kind of get back yeah. to my safety zone. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You know, anxious and avoidant are so similar. It's like, it's like two sides of the same coin because they're both terrified of being hurt in a relationship. And one um, mitigates that through closeness and one mitigates that through space. Right. So they are actually, I think the, the anxious and avoidant attachment styles um, each have really important things to teach each other. And that's why they're drawn to each other. They're like magnets, right? They just come together and then they blow up each other's worlds. And then, you know, if the consciousness can come into that and you can do that work, whether you do it on your own or you do it in the container, um, that's where the transformation takes place. So, um, but we can't let fear keep us away from the container because that's where the growth comes from. And that's, that's the hardest part of relating, right? Is it's painful, but that's where the growth edge is and that's what we need. I want to, I want to touch a little bit on, um, you brought up people pleasing and, and how I know that in kind of listening to your story a little bit, it, it, it sounded like that's something that you kind of noticed that you really fell into at, at certain points of, of your life. And I can, I can also deeply, deeply resonate with yeah. that. Um, what for, for you, what does people pleasing tend to look like for you in your life when you're in that space? Hmm. Well, I think it's, for me, it's, it's definitely a trauma response. It's the fawning of the trauma responses and, uh, it's an aversion to conflict. Um, it's a lack of boundaries. It's a lack of advocating for self. Um, it's loaded with self-abandonment and self-betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get specific, it would be things like, um, you know, a pretty big one actually for me would be, um, sexually is like not feeling secure enough to communicate my boundaries or desires sexually. So I would just kind of let whatever happen happen and I would just roll mm-hmm. with it, even though my body wasn't enjoying it. So that would be one way. Um, you know, avoiding difficult conversations and letting people walk all over me. Um, one, one area that it showed up in my business actually, and, and I, I do conscious community development. So I have a, a space called gay men's brotherhood that I, you know, kind of a, a team of us are, are building it. Um, but I was quite front facing at the very beginning of it. And, uh, I had a lot of people pulling me in different directions and, um, I have a full-time coaching practice as well. And that also demands a lot from me. And I had people like messaging, wanting to have meetings and connect and, and sending me Facebook requests and things like that. And I had this deep fear of like, if I don't, you know, say yes, that these people are going to hate me and they're going to spread rumors about me. They're not going to like me, whatever. So I was very much governed by other people's perception of me. And, uh, at the cost of myself. So I, I burnt out. I, I was literally taking on so much. I was working 12 hour days just so I could appease everybody. And I, um, you know, again, I was abandoning myself. So the last few years have been all about learning how to set boundaries and say no and not worry about what people think about me. And, yeah. uh, you know, people pleasers, I think are terrified of rejection, judgment and, and, uh, criticism. And I had to make peace with all those things because I had a lot of unresolved shame. And that shame was what was leading me to, to fawn. And, uh, so yeah, I, I ended up getting a lot of criticism, rejection and judgment, and that was the medicine I needed. And that helped me, uh, heal my people pleasing quite quickly, actually. So, yeah, you said something in the video that I watched where you said people pleasing is about fitting in 
whereas belonging is owning who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful. Like what a good distinction there that like belonging is more of a, you know, still being a part of community around you, but really standing in who you are versus just trying to do whatever you need to do to, to fit in and get other people to like you. Totally. Yeah. And the the difference between the two is self-abandonment. So fitting in, we abandon self belonging. We don't. Right. And we, when we abandon self and we fit in, we attract people into our life based off of the persona we're putting forward and that's Mm -hmm. unauthentic. So we might find our connections to be quite unfulfilling. But when you stop self-abandoning and you start belonging and you own who you are, your vibe will attract your tribe and you'll be surrounded by amazing people who are like-hearted, like-minded, and it'll feel really good, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It all comes back to ourselves, isn't it? Yes, always. How that seems to work. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Learning to be be authentic in your life, what does that mean to you? You know, kind of the word word authenticity. I know we hear it a lot. It's really, really common. But what is it to to truly be living a life that's that's authentic to you? What how would you kind of define what that is? There's so many things there. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, It is kind of a buzzword. Um, You know, I think for me, it's about being genuine, being real um, to your to your desires, to your needs to the moment that's a big one actually to the moment like you know because when when we're living authentically we're not buying into the conditioning or the programming we may have inherited right Hmm. like around like a perfect example is like masculinity like how are have we been taught as men that we have to be in order to belong or fit in or whatever to you know to manhood And we abandon ourselves constantly or we're, we become performative or hyper-masculine to try and like prove something. And, uh, you know, in the moment, when we're living in the moment, we're just allowing ourselves to show up in the expression of our essence, of our energy, whatever that is. So I would say like, for me, authenticity is less here and more here because up here is like all the programming. It's the stories of who I think I need to be to to you know, be a coach or to be a man or to be, you know, whatever. And when I'm down here, it's like, I can just allow the moment to express what needs to be expressed. So for me, that's kind of authenticity. It's, it's, it's an energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and for those listening, you were pointing to like your mind up here, right? And then your heart yes. down, down here. Exactly. Um, yeah. So not up in the mind, more in that, in that heart yeah. space. And, and so, so which kind of comes back to how much authenticity often seems to flow through our emotional states, like being able yes. to say to somebody, um, I'm scared or I'm sad or I'm really anxious right now or whatever it is like yeah. that. I've found that there's a lot of power in, in just being able to name what's actually going on, especially for somebody who has spent a lot of my life kind of suppressing emotions. Yeah. I feel like a, a real good pathway to authenticity is just learning how to name the emotion, letting another person in your in your world know that you're experiencing that emotion and and kind of being in that vulnerable space, which is definitely not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Sorry, my, my dog over here is having a That's heyday okay. with one of his toys. <laughs> Would you agree that it's a lot of authenticity is kind of just dropping into that feeling space mm-hmm. a little bit more? 
Yeah, like I, I, I teach authentic relating and that's what it is. It's dropping into the felt sense, the felt sense of who we are and being witnessed and bearing witness to somebody's presence, really. It's very much an embodied, embodied experience. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, if you look at what emotions are, they're, they're essentially messengers of need. They're communicating to us that there's some sort of need that is either going unmet or, or, or whatnot. So when you start to connect to your emotions, you start to become aware of your surroundings, aware of your internal world. Like, what is it that I'm needing right now that this emotion has come through to teach me? And mm -hmm. when, when you're aware of the need, that's authenticity in my opinion, like you're, you now know what you need. So you can therefore set boundaries, get what you need to get met. Then things like people pleasing, start to fall off, caretaking, codependency, all the things yeah. that are getting in the way of us being authentic, they melt away because we don't need them anymore because we're feeling our way through. We're understanding our needs and we're able to communicate those needs and then things shift. So I think one of your questions was how did I heal people pleasing? Well, it comes back to, um, feeling feeling my emotions, right? That's, that's just the biggest game changer. Like there's not a lot in this, on this healing journey that that wouldn't be one of the answers to how do I heal this? Well, feel, right? If you're not feeling it, you're not healing it. That's kind of the whole, the whole thing. So a lot of the work that I do is bringing people back into their felt sense. Mm. Yeah. A common thing that I experience myself and i know i've heard other people talk about is that when we get into this space of trying to feel our emotions our, our mind kind of wants to jump in on that process and like figure out what is this emotion what's that emotion tied to like i need to yeah. I, I need i need to do it the right way like like yeah. a lot of kind of overactive mind stuff when we're trying to drop into that feeling space do, do you notice that with people as well yeah, 100%. That was what happened to me. And I that's what I wrote my first book on <laughs> that exact really? that exact process. So I, I call it mastering the mind and befriending yeah. the body. Those are the two those are your two missions when you're when you're coming back down from head to heart, because the mm -hmm. mind is much louder, and it yells and the heart is much quieter and it whispers, mm -hmm. right? So if you're not able to, um, I don't want to say silence the mind because I don't think that's possible. But what, what we do is we draw our attention to the place that we want to create the experience. So if we're mm -hmm. always drawing our attention upwards into our mind, well, then that's what we're going to, that's our experience. But what we need to do is we need to learn to bring our attention down. So mastery of the mind is about mastery of attention. And we mm -hmm. draw our attention downward to the body. And it, it took me so long and it was so frustrating. It was the longest drawn out transformation I've ever had to make. And, uh, but I was persistent and I made it happen. And I used one pointed concentration was how I did that. And uh, that was, that's basically just like focusing on something. For me, I used counting. I would go one to 10, 10 to one, one to 10, 10 to one. Um, the reason why I do that is because I was counting from one to a hundred. And I realized that I can actually count from one to a hundred while still thinking a bunch of shit. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. So if I catch myself at 10 and bring myself back down, I'm constantly keeping myself um, and my attention drawn towards the counting. And then when your mind wanders, you draw it back gently and compassionately and you keep doing that. And the, the key is to not get frustrated because that's how you're building the muscle of attention. Mastery of attention is because your mind wanders and you bring it back. So mm -hmm. I got to the point where I would be like almost like grateful when my mind would wander so I could bring it back because I know I was developing the muscle bigger and, and, and more robust. Right. 
so that was really, really helpful for me. And then I, what ended up happening was I just started to develop a capacity to be able to control my attention more. And I was able to draw my attention downward to my, my mm. sensations. That was what I met first. It wasn't emotions cause they were so buried and, uh, but it was sensations. I started to feel things in my body that I wasn't feeling. Um, and just noticing little subtle kind of, um, you know, maybe muscle twitches or things like where my body was starting to be responsive to the attention I was giving it. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was my journey. And that was kind of the start of, of embodiment for me. And, and, uh, that's been the biggest game changer on, on my path for sure. I want to get into a few questions that, that okay. some of the people in our in our mm. podcast community are wanted to to ask you. I put out a little post on on Instagram saying okay. we were talking about this this topic of being a highly sensitive person. A lot of people resonating with it. Cool. And um, so one of the questions that that we got was from Lindsay. Lindsay asking is, is being highly sensitive, something that I should try to suppress? No, definitely not. I think, uh, it's, it suppresses is, 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 um, is I'm going to say a wrong choice of word. I'm going to say a better word would probably be manage. Hmm. Um, because when we learn how to manage our sensitivity, that's when it becomes a game changer. And, and I think the biggest thing is, is knowing which environments to place yourself in and which ones not to like HSPs are like orchids, right? And orchids are very temperamental, but they're very beautiful and they're very hardy when they're taken care of well, right? So they need really precise conditions in order to thrive. And that's what highly sensitive people are like. So if you're highly sensitive and you're going out to nightclubs and you're drinking and you're smoking and you're drinking a lot of caffeine and you're eating a lot of sugar and you're you're not managing your nervous system life's going to be really freaking hard right so mm-hmm. as soon as you learn about your trait and you start to learn like oh yeah okay maybe a lot of caffeine isn't good for highly sensitive people and you start to kind of you know manage these things and um then it's a game changer you're like whoa like because sensitivity it's a it's a gift in the in the sense that it's um when we are so highly attuned and perceptive of ourselves in our environment, it means that we have a strong ability to be able to understand our ourselves and others. We can meet the needs of others. We can make others feel safe. Um, we can pick up on things in our environment. Like, you know, when you go on a beautiful nature walk, like nature can be really, really awe inspiring for a highly sensitive person, like next level. Right. And, and it, it's really, it's really beautiful, right? We feel things, we feel love so deeply right so when you're suppressing all those things you're suppressing your your gift as well so learn how to manage the 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 negative things about the trait and the positive things will flourish and it'll feel really really good so yeah beautiful and Mm -hmm. i know we got another question from heather kind of asking if like being highly sensitive is a good or a bad thing i think that kind of like ties into what you just said there that yeah um it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Learning, learning, learning how to manage it. Um, I liked this question. So Jay asking, how do you be around other people's energy as a highly sensitive person being able to really pick up on that? How do you, how do you kind of take care of yourself in that process of being around other people? Yeah, that's a big, a really big question. And I'm still, I'm still learning this. Um, but I'll share kind of what I've learned. Um, 
So I think the, the first thing is you have to ask yourself, am I capable of being around people right now? Because like, for example, yesterday I had a very busy day. I was on Zoom for eight hours and I was very overstimulated and mm -hmm. my eyes were all wonky. I felt like really kind of jittery and stuff. And if I had plans to go see somebody, I would have canceled them. And mm -hmm. so you have to be willing to be very respective of your nervous system, because if you do go out and put yourself in that situation, you're going to be, it's not going to be pleasant for you, right? So prioritizing your experience is going to be key. Um, but when you're in an environment where you have to go out, and this happens to me all the time, right? Where you're, ha you're having to go out and, and go to an event that you've committed to and you're, you're feeling um, super sensitive. Um, I use like um, commands actually, because I... I'm a firm believer that we create our experience and we can, we can manifest, we can intend our experience to look how we want it to be. So I'll say things like I command my energy back to my body now, because when I go into a room, what happens is my, because I'm an empath, I will immediately, my system just innately and organically wants to empath. So when I go into a room, I can feel everything and then I'll hone in on the person that's might be, you know, struggling socially to be there and I'll go over and talk to them and make them feel settled and stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do that, right? But I want to, I want to focus on my experience. So I command my energy back to me and I just focus on being in my own body, right? And that's a lot of that too is, is it's just like really returning back to kind of um, the sensations in your own body, being with your own experience. Um, but it, it, you know, it's challenging. This is the, this is probably the biggest challenge that, empaths i would say this is more of an empath thing it, it does bleed into into being highly sensitive but being an empath it's definitely a little bit more intensified because we're feeling everyone else's emotions yeah. in such a deep way um but i would say that would be probably um the biggest thing and then respect your your limits and stay within them because for me i'll go to a, an event and i'll i'll have a good couple hours of being social and then i hit a social threshold <clears throat> And I'm done. Like I'm literally like Cinderella at midnight. Like I can't even fake fake it anymore. Like I'm just so wiped. Um, mm -hmm. So I just know. Like I'm like okay. When I start to feel my energy fading, I'm like okay. I start to kind of prepare myself to um, to hit the road, and that's it, right? So a lot of it is like again, the people pleasing is going to tell you like, oh no, you have to stay till the end, or else your friend is going to be mad at you, or whatever. This these sorts of things. Those are just stories. Like, and if your friend is mad at you, then obviously they're maybe not a good friend to you because they should understand that you're taking care of yourself. Right. So just really prioritizing yourself and your experience would be probably my best tip for that one. And last one I'm going to mention here is from yeah. Kelly asking Please. about how to set boundaries with people who are, <clears throat> she described it as inauthentic, inauthentic people or people that you're struggling with boundaries with. Have you learned anything about that along the way? Yeah, I'm kind of in, a, in an energy now where I'm like nixing people or things that aren't serving me. So if there's inauthenticity in my life, it's not welcome in my life because I, may, I prioritize things like humility, vulnerability, intimacy. And if somebody isn't able to meet me at the level to which I'm bringing myself to, then it's not, a, it's not like a nix, like, you know, I hate you, get out of my life. It's more yeah. just like I want to attract people who are vibrating in the same energy that I am so I can have a... A fulfilling experience. So um, again, it's like really looking at which ways that you're abandoning self and that you're 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 prioritizing other people's experiences over your own through people pleasing and uh, and just getting really good at uh, at 
at setting boundaries. And I'll say, you know, from, from my experience, like when I first started setting boundaries, I would get to the point where I was so irritated that I would set boundaries from anger or resentment. And, you know, that's a, that's a stage we go through. If we need the fire in our belly to be where we're setting our boundaries from, that's cool, right? You'll eventually get it right. And you might, you know, strain some relationships along the way. That's part of learning. And I definitely did. And, uh, but I've now learned how to set boundaries with like kindness and love and prioritizing their experience too, that it's like, I know what it feels like to be rejected or to be, have a boundary set with me and it can feel challenging. So I, I lead with my empathy, but I will definitely not misuse my empathy and allow their, you know, maybe pain or their, their experience to then therefore affect my boundary. I got to really be strong and, and set that boundary from a place of, of integrity for myself. So, um, but yeah, just learning how to say no and how, one of the things that I actually use a lot is this, if that's not in alignment to me, I'll let you know when, or if it does. And that's just a very blanket statement that I use for people. Like when, if somebody reaches out, you know, for example, like they want to do a podcast or they want to do something and I, it's just not in alignment to me. I'll just say like, it's not in alignment right now. I'll let you know when, or if it does. Mm. And most people, most people take that quite well, surprisingly, because it's not personal. It's just, you know, I'm, yeah. it could be about my time commitment. It could be about whatever, like I'm just not vibing with it right now. Yeah. Uh, it's instead of doing the, like, I'm just going to avoid that person or I'm going to just kind of ghost on those people. That, what a, what a, mm-hmm. what a conscious way to approach something like that to actually be able to kind of speak your truth in that. Totally. And you know, you're giving people medicine and you're also getting medicine when you're, when you're moving towards it instead of avoiding it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about transformation and I'm all about continuing to grow as a human being. So when I set a boundary with somebody, it's like, um, it's important for me to feel into the feelings that come up around that. And it's important for the person to feel it, right? Because we all experience rejection. And I think, you know, that is where a lot of us grow is through those kind of awkward and painful experiences. So I don't want to deny somebody the experience of growth. As we, as we start to kind of wind up here or wind down, okay. I'm, I'm curious what would you say, what, what, what are the gifts that you bring to the world, Matt, as a, as a highly sensitive person? Mm. <clears throat> I would say empathy. Empathy is such a big thing right now. And I think um, we're living in a world where there's, there's definitely a shortage of empathy. And uh, I, I think that's because a lot of us are operating from ego. And ego is about separation. You know, I'm different from you Um, and, you know, soul-based energy, which is empathy is, you know, how am I similar to you and how do we share this human experience together? And um, so I would say that would probably be the biggest one. Empathy. That's what, that's what HSPs bring to the, to the world and empaths. We bring that to the world. And I think, um, you know, you look at high sensitivity and it's across most species. There's, there's 20%, 15 to 20% of most species exhibit sensory processing sensitivity. And um, in the animal kingdom, it's it's adaptive because they perceive things before they happen, right? So a tsunami coming into the, you know, to into land, you know, a highly sensitive animal is going to be like, shit, everybody run, like, let's get up high, it's coming before everybody else. So then it saves the species, right? So I think that's why we're here as highly sensitive people is we're here to teach people empathy and and how to... Um, have more compassion for each other and more understanding for each other. And uh, 
So that's that's our gift. That's our superpower, right? And yes, it brings it brings stuff. It brings struggle with it too. But you can mitigate that if just by learning about the trade, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to mm. to connect and and just have this conversation. I know this has been helpful for me to listen to. I know it's going to be helpful cool. for a lot of people out there. And yeah. um, just thanks for thanks for being you. Thanks for all the the beautiful work that you're doing out there in the world. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Once again, just a big thank you to Matt for for taking some time to join us here on the podcast. Um, just a beautiful conversation and, and so inspired by the work that he's doing. If you want to learn more about Matt, uh, I'm going to link in the show notes of this episode to his website. Also want to let you know that he is um, the host of the Inspired to Be Authentic podcast. Encourage you all to, to check that out as well. Um, I'm also going to put in the show notes of this a link to the Meeting Ourselves Gently Breathwork event that I'm going to be hosting coming up here in early October. It's coming up very quickly. This is um, an opportunity to practice breathwork virtually. So no matter where you live, you can attend. I'll be guiding you through it. As you've heard me say in the past, breathwork, one of the most powerful tools that um, I definitely utilize day to day in my life to help me connect to my body. And uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about here in this episode about feeling our emotions, kind of moving away from the noise of our mind, breathwork can be a really, really, really powerful tool to do that. So um, link to register, link to learn more about it in the show notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for being here, my friends. I hope that you took something from this conversation. As always, take what serves you, leave the rest. And we continue to journey ahead one step at a time. Talk to you soon. Be gentle out there, my friends.